Hi, it's Cheryl Sitz, and today we're going to dive into some of my very favorite topics like native populations, personal empowerment, and shared leadership. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Possibilities, where we are all about personal and collective transformation from the inside out. Everything starts right here. Show creator, producer Mario Rosales, and I really appreciate the time that you spend listening to our shows, giving us your feedback, and telling your friends about it. The show just keeps growing. We're going on 10 years already and almost 300 of these. Thank you. We also appreciate your financial support. We've had to upgrade some equipment and get some new toys. So we appreciate your love at journeyofpossibilities.com support. We now offer these via video on youtube.com slash Cheryl Sitz. So you can watch our interviews with our guests. And then if it's more convenient to catch us on the fly, you can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and all of our shows are always housed at journeyofpossibilities.com. Joining us today is Kevin Hancock. Throughout these shows, I'm always talking about Mario Rosales' incredible technology skills, helping me launch the podcast, my website, my YouTube channel, and he can still help you with all those things. But for five years now, he's been working on a special project, and now he's finally ready to launch it. And I'm excited for him to tell you about it because they're absolutely beautiful. Tell us. Well, what I have come up with, I call it astrofractals, and that's astro, A-S-T-R-O, like astrology. And why is it an astral fractal? It's very simple because it uses your birthday, your birth time, and your numerology of your name. With that, I put it into this formula that I worked on for, for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and it creates a fractal and it colors it and it gives you this beautiful portrait of you. And at first when I got it, it's like, what was it? What's it for? Well, if you meditate in front of it, take it to a ceremony, or if you just want to look at it like a piece of art, it's beautiful. You can look at it at my website at Astro, A-S-T-R-O, Fractals, F-R-A-C-T-A-L-S, astrofractals.com, and that'll take you directly to my website. The base package is a digital picture of it, and then I have options that go higher in price for different types of things, 8x10s, tapestries, I mean, you name it, it's whatever you want. And they are beautiful. Astrofractals.com. Way to go, Mario. I love it. Thank you. And I'm looking forward to seeing what everybody's fractal looks like. And you even have famous people on there. So check them out. Astrofractals.com. I'm so excited about this guest. Let me tell you about him if you don't already know. Kevin Hancock is an award-winning author speaker and the CEO of Hancock Lumber Company. That's one of the oldest and best known family businesses in America. He's the recipient of the, I hope I get this name right, Ed Mukey Access to, Lead to Justice Award, Habitat for Humanity's Spirit of Humanity Award, the Boy Scouts of America's Distinguished Citizen Award, and Timber Processing Magazine's Person of the Year Award. He's a member of the Maine Indian Tribal State Commission and frequently visits the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota, which also inspired the book that we're going to be talking about today. It's called 48 Whispers. This is the beautiful cover of it. And you can pick up a copy. You'll definitely want to do that. We'll put a link for that in the podcast description so you can purchase it there. And a small gratuity comes back to us in support of the show at no extra cost to you. Kevin advocates for strengthening the voices of all individuals through listening, empowering, and shared leadership. 
He founded the Seventh Power, which is a nonprofit that is dedicated to advancing economic sovereignty for Native communities across America. You can find him online at thebusinessofsharedleadership.com, and I'm so excited to have him joining us now. Hi, Kevin. Thank you. Cheryl, hi there. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's such a pleasure to connect with you in person. I I read a lot of books doing this show because I'm not going to waste your time if I haven't read your book. And wow, this one just touched my heart and and I felt so connected to you throughout. Thank you for pouring yourself into this. Oh, that makes me happy. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. You, Your gift of photography as well as your open-hearted sharing of your journey to connect with the Native peoples. I know you mentioned about it in the book, but would you like to share with listeners now like how that came about for you? Yeah, sure. So it's kind of two a uh, two-part uh, sequence of events. First, in 2010, uh, back at the peak of the housing and mortgage market collapse, I uh, acquired quite suddenly a rare voice disorder called spasmodic dysphonia that uh, suddenly made the previously simple act of speaking quite different and quite quickly changed how I had to go about uh, leading as the CEO of our company. Anyway, a couple of years later, when the economy settled down, I had this growing feeling that I, I know you can relate to that I needed to kind of serve and strengthen myself a bit more. And I didn't know how I was going to do that, but I always had a love affair with the American West. And that summer of 2012, I picked up a copy of National Geographic and the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation was the cover story. And I read it and I was just swept away, kind of picked up and swept away in a way that I had never felt before. And I finished the article and said to my wife, Allison, I'm going to go there. I want to see what life's like for the people who live there. Now, this is clear across America for me, you know, living in the state of Maine and New England. Uh, so anyway, I ended up making a trip that became two trips. And uh, I've since been there over two dozen times and and the kind of the big picture connection was there at pine ridge i met this entire community that didn't feel fully heard that felt as if a piece of their authentic voice had been taken or stolen from them and in the most unexpected of ways because of my own voice condition i could relate yes i can only imagine and that is something that I encounter time and time again with people, it seems like for most of us, I would venture to say, in some aspect of our lives, we haven't felt, we haven't given ourselves permission or fully been able to express ourselves or speak our full truth. And so whether it's career or romance or sexuality, more, more personal issues, or all the way down, there, there's some bit of self-esteem or something behind that or our culture has not allowed for who we feel our authentic voice to be. Whatever the case, we don't find it easy to fully express ourselves. So I think that's something that you opened up and talked about in this book that we can all relate to. Yeah, really adopted this thought, uh, following thought as kind of like goal uh, for humanity or best wish. What if everybody on earth 
felt trusted, respected, valued, and heard exactly as you are. You know, that simple idea that no change is required for you to be amazing. What would change if everybody felt that way? And and I think everything would change. But what I really got thinking about, Cheryl, is the, uh, to your point and comments, is the historic role that leaders have played in in helping others find their voice, true voice. And I concluded a bit, unfortunately, that overall across time, leaders had probably done more to try to direct and control and manage the voices of others than to liberate them. And that's when it really hit me that maybe my own voice condition at the time was a, a, a gift not a hindrance, was a blessing, not a curse, and an invitation to lead differently in a way that gave others a stronger voice, whether it was employees in a lumber company in Maine or a community on a remote Indian reservation in the Dakotas. And, and maybe uh, what binds us as humans is we're all here just trying to self-actualize just doing the best we can to come into our own true voice. And what a big role that leaders could play in making communities safe for people to do that. Yes, you do touch on your leadership philosophy in the book, and I love it. It really is about empowering everyone throughout an organization, or I would carry it over and say throughout a family or throughout a community. The more we all feel okay the way we are and seen and heard, the more we can open up and contribute without all the fear of being shamed or blamed or whatever. It's, it's transformational. Right. Yes. And it's actually a much simpler way to live, you know, honoring people as they are. is so much simpler than the traditional alternative. And so I found in my own life that really, uh, giving up judgment as best one can and honoring people exactly where they are just makes relationships, living or managing so much simpler, easier, natural. Yes. So what difference do you feel like you were able to make in those native populations that you spent so much time visiting with and documenting through photography in your book and through the 48 Whispers? What difference do you feel like you were able to make for them? And what, what biggest difference jumps out to you that they were able to make for you? Well, that's such a great question because I feel like I've been given so much more that I've given to that community. For a long time, people would ask me what I would do when I went there, and I struggled for a while with the answer, but really settled on the truth, which is simple. I don't really do anything when I'm there. I just hang out with the people who live there. And, but I've come to believe that that in and of itself is a big deal. I, I might say it this way. I think awareness in and of itself is a powerful act. Like I see you, 
I see you. I know you're here. I believe you're important, valuable. Um, that you have, and this was the other big thing that you have lots to give. You know, for for generations, people like myself have been going to places like Pine Ridge to fix, save, or change the people there, and that's of course not the solution. <laughs> and I found myself, I was really going there because of uh, the energy and the perspective that that community was giving me. And I, and I go out of my way to talk about that because I want um, them all to know how much I feel they individually and their community collectively have to give to the world. I really think indigenous communities like the one at Pine Ridge are keepers of a wisdom set that humanity really needs in the 21st century. We think of a of a reservation like that as a past-based place at times, unfortunately, but I've really come to see it as a future-based place. Like they're holding perspective that actually is the key to humanity's future, not not just understanding its past. Yes. And I've actually had someone say to me, because I'm really fascinated with the indigenous cultures and have done a lot of healing with them as well myself. And when I talk about that, people that don't quite understand, I've actually had someone say to me, well, we don't want to go back to that way of living. We've done a lot of evolving since then. And I think to myself, have we really? <laughs> How's that working for us? <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I support what you said wholeheartedly you know here i am for example a uh, a corporate executive of a pretty good sized company and i find in their uh perspective and worldview so much value for uh engaging humans improving organizations and advancing humanity the the, the big thought that uh, it's kind of central to their spirituality they they talk about in Sioux or Lakota as mitakie oyasan which which translated means all things are one thing or that or one might say we're all related or we're all brothers or sisters and, and their point is that separateness is an illusion that everything that exists is made of the same stardust it's related and interconnected and when you come to see the world that way you, you, you it really fundamentally shifts the way you think about humanity and different cultures uh within humanity that really at the end of the day um we're all brothers and sisters it's, there's one single tribe and if we could kind of kind of reorient how we see it could make a very big difference i agree i agree yes the interconnectedness of everything and that everything i do that i think that i'm doing to one person i'm doing to the collective like there is nothing that won't come back to me i am attached to everything that i touch and everything that i do and and the personal accountability 
that that brings, but there's also even a freedom with that. Everybody's like, oh, that's way too heavy, too responsible. Maybe, but on the other hand, how beautiful if I treat you like I want to be treated, which is stuff we were told when we were little kids, right? right. It's like, oh, whatever, the golden rule. There's a lot to that. Right. No, and I've been able to pull that back into, again, say, the modern world of business. The, the An example would simply be this. If you want a company to soar, put your energy into helping the people who work there soar, that if the people at work are having a meaningful, valuable, holistic experience, more than just an economic exercise, they, the company will soar on the wings of humans that are soaring. And so it, it just changes the way you think about um, engaging a community or achieving peak performance. But the purpose of it uh, is not improved corporate performance. The purpose of it is the place of work is where lots of human beings hang out. And it ought to be, and there's no reason it can't be meaningful, spiritual, engaging, helping people find their voice. That old model was really um, like, you know, you'd work and then on the weekends or in retirement or vacation, you could pursue being yourself. But what a waste of time. And I, I've really gotten into the idea of bringing the world of spirit into the world of work. In a way that honors each person's personal spiritual practices, I would Yes. Say. Yes. That's beautiful. Well, and I love one of the pages that I did mark. There were a couple of them that I marked to bring up. And one of them, the first one I want to talk about, because you're talking about it right now, is one of the 48 whispers, let's put work back in its place. And the picture that you took and put with that is so perfect of the dog. Let me see if I can get this centered here. The dog relaxed. I mean, I was like, wow, I love the way you assembled this book and the, the whispers are written so beautifully. You want to speak to that whisper I'm talking about now? Instead of me reading it, you can just talk about it. Yeah, I've really gotten interested in this idea of putting the work back in its place where, where yes, it's important and we're into it and committed, but it's not all consuming. I remember earlier my career working so long and so hard that it would take me all weekend to recover to get ready to do it again Monday. And that really, again, is backwards. The purpose of work should be to enhance the lives of people who do it. And as technology and productivity and innovation all uh, improve and expand, work should take less time, not more. Uh, I've gotten really into as full-time jobs, the idea of a of a 40-hour work week or even a four-day work week, four 10-hour days, putting more free time back into the hands of people and not just time, but energy, you know, so that work's not something that's draining. If, 
it works energy giving and and creating time for people that to pursue the other important parts of their life that just makes a whole lot more sense to me now i see why you've been like what seven times on the top places to work in maine <laughs> it's, it's easy to see and so you know a business owner listening to this or a business you know a leader leader in business would say how profitable is that can we actually have a profitable business that also sees people and honors them spiritually intellectually with their energy is that possible so what you that question uh, and i would say from from our experience which now is over a decade working at these ideas it's uh not only possible it is highly likely and really the only way to maximize corporate performance what we found is when people are given a voice and treated as humans first that uh, the company's productivity, accuracy, discipline, commitment to best practices all get stronger. Our company's actually gotten more disciplined. And our safety leader summed it up best for me when he said one day, that simply because people are much more apt to deeply support that which they help create. Yes. Absolutely. And I also want to mention that you are reforesting in, to, in exchange for the lumber that you guys are going through, right? At your company, didn't I read that you've correct. got some kind of sustainable foresting project? Yes, correct. Maine today is uh, the most heavily forested state in the nation. There are more trees in Maine today than there were 50 or 100 years ago. And uh, done, you know, in, in a sustainable fashion, wood fiber is an amazing resource because it's renewable, recyclable, biodegradable. When we go into a forest area uh, and do some harvesting, it's more like gardening. We leave most of the trees but there's now uh, from those trees that were removed more sunlight more soil more water uh, and the growth actually um accelerate so yeah it, it's um it's a wonderful resource like almost any resource managed sustainably a resource is uh, really defined often by how humans choose to manage it Absolutely. What comes to mind for you as another really big shift that you had as a result of going and being with the native populations? Well, that's a great question too. A couple come to mind, but one was that really started to see nature's rules and how nature functions and recognizing the obvious that we so often set aside that humans are a part of nature not separate from it and ultimately aspire 
to organize in the same way nature does. I'll give you a quick example. I was actually spending some time on the Navajo reservation uh, in Northern Arizona a few years back when I had this epiphany, I was thinking about leadership, walking in the desert at sunset, and these five words plopped into my head. In nature, power is dispersed. I stopped in my tracks because it was kind of the clue I'd been searching for. And I looked around, you might have chuckled and had an out loud conversation with the desert. I said out loud, Cheryl, I said, um, where is the headquarters of this desert <laughs> scene? Where's the capital? Where are all the managers and supervisors? Where's the CEO? <laughs> I turned to a group of cactus and said, which one of you cactus is in charge of all the others? <laughs> and in each case, of course, right, it would bring laughter because the answer in every case is clear that the secret sauce uh, of nature is scattered and diffused. It lives in all its pieces, big and small. And humans really want to organize that way. But it, it takes an intentional act we're, because we need to reconstruct this, this century and century old model of power to the center, uh, bureaucratic, top down leadership. But to change that leadership model, you've also got to help people think differently about followership. The whole model has to change. It does. I think that's why I love the circles that Native people sit in so much. There is no head. There is no follower. We're all equal and we're all in this together. Correct. And it's so interesting on the Northern Plains. So if you go visit the old military forts they're all made in squares and then you go you go visit <laughs> the uh the, an indigenous community and everything's about a circle yes so funny i just watched the movie arrival again last night it's it's old movie it's been out for a while but it was they talk about all this stuff of course there's an invasion of of aliens and and the aliens come to teach us to help us but of course we're on the defensive and they talk a lot about language and how you know well if this one person's talking to them about who's the opponent you're setting it up in a structure that they may not even have they may not see opposition they may not be in that one against the other type mentality that we so often adopt in our cultures so it there's a lot of things coming out now, including this wonderful book and your work to help us get back to some really brilliant truths that we once had and kind of threw out, like don't throw the baby out with the bathwater comes to mind. Like we threw out the good with the bad when we decided to quote unquote evolve. And there's some things we need to get back to about equality and rethinking leadership and that we're not here in opposition, that we're all a part of and our equality to nature and all of that seems to come through so well from visiting and spending time with the native populations and in nature, as you've pointed out. Yeah, I love that. And it goes back to, for me, something you talked about, Cheryl, at the beginning of the show. I read a lovely book recently about Crazy Horse, the famous uh, Lakota uh, warrior. And it was 
point made in the book that really stopped me in my tracks, and it was this, that Crazy Horace, as a 30-year-old or so at the time, would have never thought about how he needed to make himself better, how he needed to improve his essence, that that thought would have never crossed his mind, that he already would have understood he was whole. Now, that's different from wanting to learn, grow, experience, improve, but that that this whole idea on an individual level that that I'm not, I'm not enough is what we really have to, to get to. That's where we need the, the reset is you are enough. You're amazing exactly as you are. Nothing needs to change for you to be enough. Yes. Absolutely. And I agree with Marianne Williamson when she said that's what we're afraid of. We're not afraid that we're not enough. We're afraid that we were more than we know what to do with ourselves, right? I agree with that. <laughs> you have another page in here that I really loved because I'm I'm a very practical person. I love philosophy. I love spirituality. I love to sit and have these chats. But at the end of the day, as you said in the book, okay, now what? That's whisper number 29. And that's what we really are coming to is, okay, now what? The moment where you decide if you'll make a move toward recovery and if so, in what form that initiative will manifest, you know, as, and when you say recovery, I think you mean as a systemic recovery of rethinking and redesigning the logic on which our current structure is established. So you want to speak to that for a moment? Sure. I um, makes me happy that whisper spoke to you yeah we can all look at uh the past at what got us to where we are and there's benefited that done correctly but at the end of the day where we are is where we are and where we are is exactly where we're supposed to be at that moment and the question becomes now what in spite of uh, the grievances or the misdoings or the past hurts now what what's the the next move uh, we're gonna make and you refer to this again in the opening of your show but i think a lot about uh, Gandhi's famous quote of becoming the change you wish to see in the world. And, and that's really, I think, learning uh, to, uh, to focus on the power within us and our own ability to create change and manifest something different. The first move, I think you essentially said this, the first move always comes from within yes it's that acceptance right that we really are enough that we really are we we can do this we we are here for a reason and we can do this correct i love that so what's next on the horizon of you're involved in so many things and you're such a shining leader for us in rethinking the way that we're approaching things where do you see yourself next hanging out back in the northeast just chilling <laughs> yeah and i'm gonna keep going 
Pine Ridge, I go there twice a year, and I think I probably will for the rest of my life. But what's next? That's how I've really changed. If you asked me that question, Cheryl, 10 or 15 years ago, I would have had it all mapped out. <laughs> and now what I what I like to talk about and, and aspire to do is um, learning to follow really creating space, time, and awareness for the, the future. Uh, well, I say to both our daughters, I say, I think the future bumps into us all the time. It's just often we're too busy to notice or respond. So I'm really trying to uh, follow uh, the, the, the river that's uh, in front of me, and I have no idea where that's going to take me. And that's kind of the cool part when you want to make the switch and learn, think about it that way. Oh, I love that. I think that's one of the best answers I've gotten to that question. <laughs> thank you for that. And thank you for your, taking the time to join us today. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us today that we didn't touch on that, that speaks to your heart right now? Well, I would say anyone uh, wanted to reach out to me, uh, you can you can do something through my website, which is uh, the business of sharedleadership.com. But mostly, I just want to thank you for having me on your show. And I really love your energy. I think you're actually uh, a, a beacon of giving others a stronger voice that your um I can actually like feel your presence here just uh despite the physical distance that's between us. So I've I've really enjoyed being with you and uh salute you for what you're doing, Cheryl. Thank you so much. It's really a joy. It really is a joy. So thank you. And thank you listeners and viewers for joining us. Let us know what you think. We always welcome your feedback at journeyofpossibilities.com. We will see you next time on Exploring Possibilities.